episode of Sanctuary Radio. This is a podcast brought to you by Sanctuary Recovery Centers. Our mission is to break the stigma surrounding addiction to empower others to live addiction-free lives, providing hope to those who suffer from addiction and offer continued care and true healing. I want to welcome my co-host Haley. What's up everybody? Oh my god, the hair's done proper like today. I told you, you better be ready. That's how I knew we were actually recording. Yeah, my hair's always done when we're... I mean, I came here to drop off a check and then all of a sudden I see your hair and I'm like, oh, we must have... It's an, podcast day. It's podcast day. So I want to <laughs> welcome our guest today, Marcus Wisely. He is the business development um, director, manager, if you will, from Crossroads. So let's welcome him to the show. Thank What's you guys. Up? Pleasure to be here. Happy to be here. I mean, shout out Crossroads. Seriously, I love Crossroads. You and me both. Yeah. Uh, Crossroads saved my life and uh, and many others. So I uh, I try and work there and give back and and help change one individual's life a year. That's my goal. So you work at Crossroads, and I know you know about your story. And you're going to share that with us today, and you know everything that you've been through that's led to this point to have the ability to have the position that you had. You know, we don't just come into Crossroads and all of a sudden be the business development, go through the program, let alone, and then here we are, we're doing business development and podcasts on behalf of the facility. It doesn't work that way. But what are you? currently do there uh currently i am uh the business development manager for crossroads um also trying to integrate and create a alumni program for crossroads for all the individuals like myself that uh have gone through crossroads and continue to stay sober um and and just try and get our name and our relationships continue to be built and 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 continue to be a pillar in the the community of recovery how long has crossroads been in the valley 60 years. Wow. 60 years. That's crazy. That is crazy. And so I, I actually went through Crossroads Arcadia way back when. And, you know, I had my service commitments are at Crossroads for my personal program I work. I go to three different ones on the weekend. So I definitely have a, a soft spot in my heart for Crossroads, their mission and everything that they're doing. Because that's what this podcast is all about. You know, we want to continue to bring in um, representatives from all the other different treatment facilities because we're a big team. We work together. It's a team sport. And that's what this thing's all about. But let's get into your story a little bit. You ever been to Crossroads, Haley? I used to go to Crossroads East for meetings. Oh, you did? Yeah, and that's where I met my Somebody? now ex-fiance. Okay, all right. So you were, you went there to 13th Step, for sure. Well, 100%. I, I got kicked off the property for actually hooking up with someone previously to Kyle, so it was, it was pretty bad. I was pretty bad in my early yeah, recovery. okay. You know why they call it 13-stepping? I don't know why. It's step one plus step 12. Let me share my unmanageable life with you. Perfect. 13. Write yeah. that down. It's, it's down. It's okay. down. <laughs> All right, but let's get into your story a little bit, Marcus. So you're born in Anaheim, California. Shout out Anaheim. Are you yeah. a Ducks fan? No. No? He's angels? Absolutely not. Yeah, I like the Angels. You like okay. the Angels? I do. Otani? And, I mean, uh, I mean guy's a beast. Yeah, right? he is a beast. So what what was it like? How long were you out, you know, growing up in, you know, California? I know that you've experienced uh, you know, a lot of trauma in your life, just like all addicts do. And, you know, um, growing up out there, share a little bit about the family dynamic, what it was like. Um, you were out there till you're about eight years old. So what was that time period like for you? Uh, pretty chaotic. Um, my family was very poor. Um, we lived in a lot of Section 8 government housing. Um, all of the Put it this way, all the diapers that my family used, I'm in the middle of five children, so not uh, a great dynamic for a poor family, but all of the diapers that my mom used were actually towels that were donated from a church that she went to, and she would just wash and reuse those as our diapers. Um, first couple years of my life, all the food that we ate was provided by that same church. Um, a family of seven, we didn't have a vehicle, uh, we had to depend on other people to get rides, so... Um, from a ver very early age, I had that that feeling that most of us addicts share. 
um, I didn't belong. I, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And, uh, and any type of adversity felt like Mount Everest for me to try and get over. So, so very early on, I learned how to just avoid that and run from it. Yeah. And so we experienced all that, those kind of things, uh, you know, low self-worth, uh, negative self-talk. Um, we have these beliefs of, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And we have false beliefs and we have all these things. And ultimately, you know, when drugs and alcohol come into the mix, that's the cure to that. Right. Because we like the effect produced. Right. Right. You like the effect produced? Of course. What do you like the effect produced of far greater today? I I don't. You don't. <laughs> well, I always tell everyone this. It's like, you know, right now in this moment, like, sure, I like the effects produced by drugs and alcohol. I still do. That doesn't right. change. But what I like the effects produced of far greater is the effects produced by God right. in my life. Far greater. And it's got, you know, it's got legs on it. It lasts a long time. Jason. You, well, you know what I mean, Haley? I do. There's you, no withdrawal from it. There is no withdrawal from it. Because I surely don't want to experience that ever again. And so ultimately, man, you're, you know, you grow up out there, Section 8 housing, you know, you know, tons of kids, um, you know, poor, you know, everything that comes along with that. And ultimately, man, you guys moved to Lake Havasu. Yep. So what was that like? I mean, I know I've been to Lake Havasu, right? And you come in and when you're driving through and you look up to the right and you see all those multi-million dollar homes. Did you live it's up so there? It's beautiful no, over no, there. No, I did not. You, um, <laughs> funny story is I lived in the first Section 8 house in Arizona and it happened to be in Lake Havasu. And the way that we moved into that house is the lady that ran the church that my mom went through also ran the Section 8 governing board and moved my family to the very top of the list. Um, and that's how we, we got in that house. Um, but yeah, I went from being a poor white kid in a predominantly black neighborhood to a poor white kid in a predominantly white neighborhood. So I didn't fit in either of them. Um, but what I did find out very early on is that I could start smoking weed and drinking and that I fit in very perfectly because I no longer cared what other people thought about right. me. Right. You know? And, uh, and once that started and that effect that you talked about that we love, right? I don't like it. I love it. Yeah, right. Sure. I love the effect that is produced by any type of foreign substance that I put in my body and, uh, and the low self-worth, all of that, right? Self-esteem. I had everything, right? Um, I quickly learned that I could just be arrogant and that would mash and overcome any deficiencies I had in who I thought I was, Right. Um, that I would never let any other person in the world find out what I thought about myself. Yeah, I'll show you. Right. Yeah, right. I'll show you. You ever shown anyone, Haley? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Did my ego get in the there way? There we go. Absolutely. See, we, hey, we got there. Yeah. See how we got there? It's, I'm a slow learner, everyone. That's okay. And yeah. Jason knows it, so I was going to take it me. somewhere else, but I figured we'd keep it PC for this. Yeah, we're going to keep it PG right now. That's another podcast for another Listen, time. I smoked a lot of meth. Yeah. We might need to do a yeah. sanctuary radio. I was radio. already slow before the meth, so it didn't we, help my case. We might not need to have a sanctuary radio podcast that's called like After Hours. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Where Jason explains <laughs> everything we talked about in detail. <laughs> yeah. For okay. you specifically. Specifically just for me. Just to keep Absolutely. you on point. Yeah. And so you start using at about 11 years old and it's the weed and it's the drinking and it's the progression. Um, and then 13 happens. What, what was 13 years old like for you? Uh, it's the most pivotal year in my entire life. So, um, 13 starts off very tumultuous. My parents get a divorce, right? So that's a big thing to deal with. Um, 
I go out with some buddies. We think it's a good idea to go smash mailboxes. And uh, my like bu- hanging out the car with a bat. No, smash- no. Oh. Like uh, so, we were right. I'm 13. Oh, 13 we don't have okay. a car. So what you do is you snap the mailbox off the top of a mailbox, and then you bend the pole back and forth, and then you don't have to find a bat or anything like that. You've got a steel pole to go hit mailboxes oh, okay. with, right? But what happens is you bend a steel pole, and it bends, and it gets very sharp and jagged. Mm. And my buddy hits a mailbox, and the pole snaps in half when he hits it. And that pole has so much force that it flips and hits me in the hand and uh, incompletely amputates my left ring finger. Um, I mean, can we see it, brother? Sure. I mean, yeah. can we see? We need to see this thing. Right here. Oh, wow. Oh, it checks so. out. Oh, yeah. Oh, that happened. Yeah. Here, show the camera. Yeah, we want to see so that. So it's hanging on by this vein right here. Wow. Um, Probably a lot of skin grafting and oh, surgeries. Oh, tons. So they took a huge skin graft here. Um, I got air vac from Lake Havasu to Loma Linda, California. Where oh, they shot you to Cali over this thing? Turns out the best hand surgeon surgeons in the world, right? Oh. Um, my mom worked for the school at the time, so I had really good insurance, yeah. right? Um, and then I went through 14 and a half hours of microscopic surgery for them to reattach my finger. Right. And I came out looking like Freddy Krueger. I had 14 pins in these three fingers. My hand was so flat and smashed that you could literally lay the pole in it. Whoa. Wow. Um, sounds pretty painful. Yeah. Extremely painful. And what, what they did for pain in 2003 is prescribe you opiates. Oh yeah. You know, they that's prescribed right. it for period cramps in 2003. Oh, they did? Yeah. You must've had a lot of them. Yeah. I, I had a ton of period cramps. <laughs> I'm <right>. just saying <laughs> they were prescribing it for everything. They were giving it, handed out like candy. So they, uh, they started a 13 year old boy who already had some substance abuse issues on uh, Oxycontin and, uh, mm. very quickly did I learn that I, uh, I loved the effect. I, I liked weed and alcohol and cocaine was okay yeah. here and there. Right. Um, Oxycontin was a different beast. Let me ask you this: Did you have a hose clamp? Absolutely. So funny story. I was just telling <laughs> my boss. Have to explain that one to me. I was just telling my boss about this the other day that I would break a hose clamp, get a flathead screwdriver, put bend every ends. bend every end up, and then I would keep it in my wallet at all times. Yeah. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Well, you don't want to waste any of it, so yeah. you got to grind it up nice and fine, yeah, all right? the way down." Um, yeah, you could ask my mom about the amount of hose clamps that she. Found so you lying get a around. hose clamp, Haley. You bend off okay. the end of it, the excess part that's on there, and you bend in the sides, and then you, you know, let me ask you this: You yeah, pro- but cheese grater for oxycontin. Yeah, is so you shave them you up. Have. Yeah, you can shave it up, right? And let me ask you this. Did all your undershirts have, like, all the green the coating? Green and blue, oh, absolutely. <laughs> green. Undershirts, socks. I didn't wear undershirts. It looked like so you work for a paint inside, company. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and my mom was always like, what is all this paint on you? Yeah. I don't know, Mom. Yeah. Right? That's funny. Yeah. And it so wasn't. That, but that's not only the, you know, all the trauma that you experienced during that period of time. So you cut off your finger. You're in the hospital. Um, you get, you know, parents get divorced. But there's some other things that come along with that. There is indeed. Um you know, so parents get divorced. Me and my mom have never really seen eye to eye until I got sober. So um, she's not letting me move in with my father. Uh, so I'm back and forth between my mom and my grandmother. My grandmother gets breast cancer, um, actually beats breast cancer, but um, slips and falls. And because she's a smoker all of her life, she breaks her hip, can't find a vein. She bleeds out internally and dies. Wow. Right? Oh, my gosh. So I deal with that trauma of the woman that I, like, love and trust the most. Mind you, I'm getting stoned with my grandmother, right? She was yeah. an awesome lady till the yeah. day she died. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I get molested shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, it was just, I gave up on life, right? 13 was my very first suicide attempt. Um we used to break into cars, not for any financial gain, just because it was fun and thrill-seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find a gun, 
And uh, I put the gun in my mouth and I pull the trigger and the bullet doesn't go off for some reason. And uh, right, I'm an arrogant idiot and I'm an addict. So I carried that bullet around with me for years to tell myself that I was invincible, right? That, oh, a gun can't even kill me, right? In reality, that was God stepping in and saying, I have other plans for you. It's crazy when we, you know, being, you know, in recovery like we are today and, you know, experiencing God, because it's one thing to believe in a higher power in step two, make a decision in step three. But once you start to experience God working in your life and then you look back over all the years of everything you've been through, you can see that your higher power, God or whatever you choose to call it, was there the whole time. You were just unaware of it. And I don't, you know, I don't ever want to put anybody down, but if you're not able to recollect all of these occurrences and realize that that is a higher power of your understanding stepping in you're an idiot yeah i mean i hear you right right i mean that's ultimately you know the you know we're, we're 12 step dudes and the main object of this book is enable you to find a power grade in yourself which will solve your problem you got to Co- find it correct yeah you found it Haley. yeah absolutely i know you have Jesus is my homeboy. The homeboy. Homeboy. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. I hear you. So shout when you, out Jesus. Shout I don't out know. Jesus. <laughs> and so, you know, now we got a whole, I mean, everything that you've been through. And, you know, when you hear all these things, you know, especially about being molested and, you know, a lot of times we think that it's only us. It only happens to right. us. And, sure. And the more we start to sponsor guys and the more we start to, you know, pay attention in the rooms and listen and be a part of, we start to realize that it's actually an extremely common thing that we think, unfortunately, that we think we're so unique from. Mm -hmm. And it's ultimately now using those experiences, like sharing it on a podcast. I'm sure you use it with all your sponsees and when you work with them. And what we're doing is we're shifting the attachment to it. We almost become grateful, if you will, because now we're more qualified to help others to experience it. Sure. What are you grateful for today, Haley? I'm grateful for my kids and and my boyfriend. I mean, we got to give him a shout out. He broke his leg. He did. He broke his leg yesterday. Bull rider. fighting. Cowboy up, right? Yeah. What's the the statement? You you deal with the bull, you get the horns? Yeah. So he found that out? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's no, you know, he's a professional and. This is a little piece of trivia for you. This is movie trivia. Um, what line is this? What what line is okay. this movie from? I'm just a cowboy looking for work. Anything heavy, I ride rodeo. Oh my god, you told me this last time. I've and told I, you this you before. You have told me this. I don't know. It's from that movie Heat. Okay, it's a classic. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, hey, just that was just a little side note, like a little bit of trivia in my right. life. And so, you know, everything that you got going on, you drop out of school, you end up getting a GED. And then from like 13 to 18, you have this period of time where you're just getting in trouble. Like, what was that whole period like? Um, in and out of incarceration, uh, juvenile incarceration, IPS, standard probation, ankle monitors, um, drug use, detox, uh, back then, just as there is now, there's very few resources for adolescents that need treatment. And that's so sad. I mean, it 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 really is. is. Um, There are a few companies now, um, that are really, really trying to push the envelope of getting residential treatment centers open for juveniles, which is an amazing thing. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's so bad. I mean, I, I call Haley every time I need to figure out where to send somebody. And I like literally call her and ask her the same questions for the last year. Um, and I always okay. call her about the adolescent ones and there's only like two. Yeah, there's it's very few. ASAP yeah. and a couple other places, right? Yeah, so sad. Willow, I think is right. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So instead of me going to treatment, they put me into, uh, I think it was called the smart program. I don't know. It was in a, a county jail. So you're basically locked up, but you were learning, recovery tools while you were in there um and the counselor that ran it had like 25 years sober he's the guy that that i that is also a huge pillar uh in my recovery right that he's the one that opened the door and showed me what recovery looked like at an early age um so yeah i uh i did what all good 
criminals do, right? I didn't get off with good behavior or anything like that. I, I timed out. Yeah. Um, so, You're 18, brother. You got to go. Correct. Right? <laughs> um, you don't got to go home, but you can't stay here anymore. Right. And uh, and my mom at this point, uh, like I said, never had a good relationship. She uh, kicked me out for the second to the last time um, at 17 years old and uh, just about to be 18. So I moved up to Tempe with my sister. Oh, shout out Mill Avenue. You ever yeah. rock Mill Avenue, Haley? No, I'm from Wickenburg. It was too far of a drive. I told oh. you that. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've told you You guys that. don't have like a, a, a windmill avenue or anything in, no, in Wickenburg? No, we were desert parties. Barn parties. Huh? Yeah, desert parties, barn parties. Like cow rock, rock shows? Like, no, yeah, cow The gem show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the gem show in town this week, and let's get extra turned up. Yeah, we would hang out in the riverbeds. Mm. Like, I don't know. Was there any water in there? <laughs> there was some. Oh, okay. Yeah, Puddles? Was, not an actual what's river? The, it wasn't an actual you river. You go fishing, Haley? I've been fishing a couple times, but I've never caught a fish. Oh, okay. All right. It's really kind of hurting my feelings. So <laughs> We're going to take you to... I'm trying. You know, this is just another little side note here. I know we're getting off topic here, but one time... I, I, I love fishing, but I was horrible at catching them. So one time, my dad took me to a trout farm. And so I caught about yeah, I, I caught about thirty five fish. We did that with my kids in Sedona. Yeah, yeah. it's the Confidence best way. Builder, yes, right? it's the best way to do it. That's kind of funny. And so you move out to Tempe, and you know we still got that addiction thing that's untreated, heavy. heavy. And then just like I think it, it's extreme part of my story when they take the oxycons off the market. And we go to the 30s, mm-hmm. and then next thing you know, either the heroin is way cheaper, right, or we can't find pills anymore, and they're so expensive you can find them. So what was that whole period like for you? I showed up to my dealer's house uh, like I did every other day, and uh, money in hand, and said, hey, you know, what do you got? And he goes, I'm all out of pills, man. I don't know when I'm getting more. And uh, he's about the fourth or fifth person that had told me that. And I walk out of his room, and I'm like, this dude is, is an addict like I'm an addict. And I go back in and said, how are you not sick? He goes, oh, I've been smoking heroin for about the last few months, right? And uh, and heroin's that one line in the sand I'm never going to do. I'm never right. going to do that. But I'm we not, always cross those I'm lines. I'm not that guy. Right. Right. Um, my lines are more like the ocean came and took them away, and you can't even see the remnants <laughs> that they were right. over there, right? Right. Um, I'll never forget it. I walked out of that room, and uh, something in my brain said, let's just, let's just get well. And in a couple of days, we'll get pills again. Yeah, we'll right? figure it out. And uh, quite literally, I sat in that room for the next five months. And uh, and the progression continued, right? I smoked heroin initially, and I'm never going to put a needle in my skin and all this stuff. And uh, things happen, right? You become right. A, a full-blown heroin addict, you're going to stick a needle in your arm. Yeah, I mean, it ultimately always leads to that. We always have these things that we say we're never going to do. And right. We always do them. And, you know, once that her- full-blown heroin addiction happens, I mean, if you're anything like me, you're stealing from everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody. Anything that's not tied down, and then I'm hoping you look for it. Are you a pawn shop type dude? Yes and no. Uh, I was until you, I started. You had to connect on Craigslist? I did, yeah. yeah. And then I started burning <laughs> bridges at pawn shops that, like, they were getting too many phone calls that the stuff that I was selling them was stolen, yeah. right? So my picture was up in all these pawn shops yeah. around Tempe, Perfect. and I didn't have a car, right? I'd mm-hmm. already titled on that thing away. Yeah. So, uh, of course. You know, then it's, yeah, you just got to sell stuff on Craigslist. Yeah. Or, or trade it to your dealer, yeah. right? I'm the dude who goes to the pawn shop with a 64, true story, 64-inch flat screen TV, brand new, just came out, and I'm like... I only want $100 for this thing because sure. I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. I have never right. came back. I've never got anything back out. I've only pawned a few things, and it was when I stole from my grandma, oh, and I yeah. had to go 
I had to go get them back. Same. I got yeah. one yeah. one thing that I got back, and we can get into that later because it ties into my nine step amends. But okay, so we're gonna get there. And um, ultimately, man, you know, once we start doing heroin, and you know, all of a sudden now we we need more, and we need more, and we mm-hmm. need more. And so usually we have these bright ideas that. You know, if I just get this ounce and I can cut it up, I could flip it and then I could right. stay well and I won't have to spend money. It'll be perfect. And so that's what you did. What was that whole period like for you when you thought you were Pablo Escobar? Oh, I was a kingpin of Tempe, <laughs> you know. Um, like anything else in my life, it started off really, really good yeah. and then went very bad. Go very so quickly. good till it goes so bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I like to do things at a exuberant amount mm-hmm. um so i try and sell as much weed or as much heroin or you know it I, I just like to be the best and do the most at everything right because of that low self-worth that i have to overcompensate in every aspect of my life and uh when you deal drugs you meet a lot of very good solid heartwarming people right and one of those heartwarming people got busted and turned me in yeah. and uh, and set me up on a controlled buy big heart yeah wonderful mm-hmm. right yeah. stand up individual mm-hmm. Um, so it's my first real charge and I'm sitting in jail and, uh, and I'm kicking and I'm kicking bad. Um, at this point I had about a five gram a day habit. Ooh. And Damn. you weren't feeling too good. No, I could show you my, uh, my mug shot now or at later. Whenever. Yeah. We're going to need to plug that production. Yeah. yeah here, all, uh, right here. Production. It's, uh, it's horrific. Right. And it's actually hanging up in our admissions lobby because I want people to see. You know what? I was just the down transition. there at your admissions lobby, um, bringing down a client mm-hmm. yesterday or Monday. Yep. And Did I you see looked it? at all. I, I looked at them. I seen there's like five or six of them in line right above those chairs. All the people that do intakes. Oh, those are all their mug shots. Yep. Oh, I that's love great. That. That's, that's so great. awesome. We need that here. A wall of I hope. Feel like. Well, if you put your mug shot up, it might scare the it's shit out really of them. We might not get another parents, client. Parents will I was never really come back. Tweaking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. Let me ask you this about kicking in prison uh, or in jail. You know, I've had the experience of doing that a few times. That's yeah, wonderful. And in my experience, the times that I've done it, the withdrawal hasn't been nearly as bad as it was when I was trying to kick it on the streets because I knew I could go get it. So so I've never been to an actual detox, mm-hmm. right? Because a person like me, if you give me the opportunity to leave and go get well, that is damn sure what I'm going to do. Right. Jail, I don't have that opportunity. I am forced to sit in there and kick, right? Didn't stop me from calling my mom and giving her some BS story about people in there that I owed money that were going to kill me. Right. I came up with everything. Mom, you got to get me out of here. Right. But really what I wanted to do is go get well. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And so a reason I say that is because in my just opinion and experience, I think it's about 80% mental and about 20% physical because when I knew I couldn't get it, those times when I detoxed weren't nearly as bad. When you knew you could go out and get it. Yeah. When I knew I could go out and get it. I mean, my, my wife left me for literally 20 minutes with no phone, no no, and this is actually the time when I pawned the. I ripped the TV right off the wall, mm-hmm. used the neighbor's phone, called a cab, told him to wait out front, gave him some of the, you know, yeah, that happened. She came back. I'm sitting there just all of a sudden feeling great. TV's gone. Mm-hmm. You guys just you know? got 12 years. I don't know what happened to <laughs> you. Yeah. You guys just got weird. 12 years married. We've been married 12 That's years. Crazy. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And so um, you end up uh, spending some time in jail. And, I do. And uh, what happens after you, you get out of jail? They get you on probation? Or? Um, not yet. They uh, they get me into... My mom picks me up and uh, takes me to... I'm like, I got to go home, right? And uh, little do I know her and my brother and sister have gone to my house, which is a full-blown trap house. Oh, yeah. Um, and cleaned everything out of my room. Mm-hmm. You're right? pissed. 
live it, yeah. right? I have plans, right? I've been mm-hmm. waiting this whole time yeah. I'm in jail to get out and do this shot, right? Yeah. And uh, and she drops me off at uh, 5116 East Thomas Road, which is Crossroads Arcadia. Mm. Okay, shout out Arcadia. And uh, again, I'm right, like you're not, I'm a grown man, you're not making these t- decisions, right? So I'm about to get out of the car and run, and my mom says, listen, you have two options. <laughs> You go into treatment and it helps with your case. I already talked to your lawyer about it. Or you run and I revoke your bond and you get a warrant. Oh, okay, so she bonded, so she bonded you she out did. and then you went to Crossroads and mm-hmm. get that nice she letter really saying you're in. Hey, I'm in, I'm in treatment I'm right? doing for the so first good. time ever. First time ever she had boundaries, right? And uh, and those boundaries pissed me off, right? Yeah, I don't like right. that shit. Um, I like being able to manipulate. Mm-hmm. And I'm well, really, really do. good at it, right? right. Haley, you, Haley's good at it too, for sure. Yeah. Um, but when you I set try. those boundaries, then I have to find new ways to manipulate, right? And uh, my manipulation was okay, whatever. I'll go into treatment, right? And uh, and I was gonna give it, I don't know, three days maybe at max. And uh, I ended up staying 126 days for God knows what reason. I, I guess I halfway bought into treatment. Um, then so I found so out you went from the bunkhouse, double bunk area. Then did you go across yep. the way where you had your own room I did. and then you start working during yep. that period of time? So, uh, yeah, I was doing, uh, I forget the company. I was selling like pens and oh, stickers. Oh, SGI. Yes. They still, oh my yes. They still reach out. And help you know what? They recovery. send everybody there. And one thing, you know, I'm a telemarketer from way back. Um, that's the only job I've ever had other than working in treatment now. I'm a t- I mean, I don't even want to get into all that, but, um, my point is, is I know about SGI and they make you say this dumb joke on, you have to read the script verbatim uh-huh. with a dumb ass joke mm-hmm. in the beginning. Oh my gosh. Do you know the joke? No, I can't, remember. I can't remember it, but it's just like, are you kidding me? No wonder why you get hung up on every mm-hmm. single time you call. That's kind of funny. And so you work at SGI and you're making some money and then ultimately they hire you on. Yeah. Uh, hire me as a volunteer to work at crossroads arcadia and uh i found out that i'm very good as acting as if while i'm in treatment mm-hmm. right i'll be the best rehab kid you've ever seen mm-hmm. right? right and uh they hire me and they never said it to me but what i hear is hey you don't have to pay rent and we're not going to drug test you anymore right um neither of those things were true mm-hmm. they're just what i perceive yeah, that's what i heard and uh two days into my employment i was stealing residents medications and then going out and having one-on-ones with them and talking recovery Loaded. Get, get all the way turned up on the gabapentin. Uh, Suboxone. I was still in their subs. Yeah. Um, and uh, back then, you know, nightmare. There was under- no narc counts or. There was once a month, you know, but. Right. Um, yeah. You just blame it on the client. You know how they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You Absolutely. Know. They probably all- took two. But the thing about people that are in recovery and that work in recovery, right, they're very quick to find out that. Right. You are no longer sober, right? We can look at one person or you hear that tone in their voice and you right. automatically that pirate know. Voice. You can see I it. I can hear it um, every time. You can see it immediately right. on everybody. So my boss calls me out on it, right? Like any good recovering addict would call you yeah. out on. And uh, and I get furious, right? How could you? How you? Are you? S- how dare not, you? Yeah, not yeah. me. And he says, well, just take this UA, right? So fuck you, yeah. right? I'm not doing that. And uh, he goes, Marcus, just... Just tell me you're getting high. I said, yeah, I've been getting high for a week, right? It, it was like three at this point, right? Yeah. And uh, so they gave me 20 minutes to pack my stuff up and get out of there. And, and like any good drug addict, you know, I had nowhere to go. I was homeless for a couple of days and moved back in with mommy. Yeah, caught a call mom. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, thank you, mom. Shout out, mom. Hey, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> that, goes, that, yes. That woman, I, not enough praise in the world for what I put that woman through and right. what she has carried me through. I think we can all relate to that with our moms. And so when you, yeah, for sure. And so when you 
show back up at mom's house. Now you've been using for three weeks. So I'm just assuming that it doesn't, you know, end very well there. Yeah. Um, it ends exactly how you think it ends. Um, mom made the mistake of opening her arms and her heart back up and her home to me. And I took full advantage of that and manipulated every single thing that I could. Um, she had a little box of jewelry um, that got to the point that was so bad she was hiding it in her car, the trunk of her car every morning to drive to work because she didn't know what would be missing when I got home or she right. got home, right? And uh, and I'm on probation at this point, right? And uh, her and my PO get in cahoots, you know, because that's, that's who my mom is, right? Mm. She's the I'm going to call the cops on you yeah. type of mom, which is perfectly fine, right? Probably yeah. saved my life. Mm. And uh, my PO randomly shows up and says, hey, we got to talk. All right, cool. What's going on? Right. And uh, he goes, well, you've taken 43 UAs and 39 of them have been dirty. Dang. Right. I'm like, I feel like a loser. Right. Like, (laughs) you mean all 43 weren't dirty? Right. (laughs) I let myself down. Maybe your testing's broken. Something's wrong with your lab because I should have been 43 for 43. 100%. And uh, he goes, look, you have until the end of this week to get into treatment or you're going back into jail. So that means I got six and a half days to get high. For sure. <laughs> um, exactly. He doesn't know. Like, right, I minimize and I lie because that's what I do. I'm in the Hall of Fame for the stories mm, I've told, right? right? Mm. And uh, so I told oh, yeah, it's not that bad. I'll be fine, right? Really, I'm, I'm back up to shooting like a half gram, a gram a day, right? And uh, I find a place up in Prescott that, you know, is this recovery community right it's going to be beautiful i'm going to go up there i'm going to kick and things will be great right in the pine trees yeah you ever been to prescott haley i have yeah in the pine trees i have i used to go to kids camp up there every summer oh you went to kids what, kind, what kind of kids camp when you were a kid well or? no when i yes when oh, i was okay. a kid last summer I, I went to church camp with our it was a presbyterian church like, va- like vacation of bible school yeah like vbs kind, no we did that too that's mm. more baptist but yeah did you have one of those things where you swing off the tree and then you get on that big like uh air pillow type oh, yeah, thing and like it a, throws you like in a, there yeah really Zip line? No, it's the blob. I know. Like, Do you? Was there a zip line? There was a zip oh, line. Oh, that's that fancy camp, mm-hmm. huh? We we slept in teepees, like oh. it was legit. <laughs> oh, full throttle. Okay. <laughs> Every summer. Every summer. Every All right. Summer. So you've been there. It's confirmed. My parents just wanted to get rid of us. We okay. were wild. Can't blame yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hear you. I mean, you're still wild. Uh, yeah, you should see my kids. They're worse than me. God <laughs> is definitely punishing me for sure. For sure. <laughs> and so you show up in Prescott, man, and you go to what's a hillside, and you're there for 28 days. Mm-hmm. And just like most people who go, because Prescott's got such a high volume of treatment facilities and such a it small does. city. And so what ends up happening if you don't, you know, have the privilege of finding recovery and the gift of pain and desperation when you're finally willing to get recovery, not relief, usually you end up doing the halfway house shuffle, three quarter house shuffle. 100%. Is that what you did? Yeah. What was that like? Um, it's chaotic, right? Um, you're in a place maybe two, three weeks, a month. You might get two months out of a place, right, until you are unable to get fake pee or, or pass a drug test or any of these things. And uh, and then you're kicked out with your black garbage bags. Or oh, the you trash know. bag. You ever been kicked out with black trash bags from anywhere, Haley? Mm-hmm. Good for you. No. And uh, and then you show up at another place, um, and, and all of these places talk, right? Yeah, they know you. Yeah. And... Uh, you plead your case and this is going to be different and take me in. Right. And really it's like, I just don't have anywhere else to go. Right. Um, and, and, and these God loving individuals kept giving a person like me a chance. Yeah. 
And I took full advantage of it every single time. And we usually do. But when we look back on those periods of time, it's like now where we all work in recovery, you know, we know we've done it. Every single thing that any of our clients have done or currently do or we try know. to manipulate, like we've done, I know especially Haley's done it all. So oh. I know that she could relate to everybody. So that's good. That's why we have her on staff. Thanks, Jason. She's extremely relatable to trauma and all kinds well, of other things. Well, definitely trauma for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't ever take uh, a client lying to me personally. You <laughs> no, know, because no. It, exactly. It, it, if, you're getting, if you're getting high, you're lying. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And so you end up getting out of there and you're doing the halfway house shuffle and everything always, you know, ends up going bad and you actually get arrested on a violation. Correct. And so um, what happens? House manager UAs me, calls my PO and, you know, uh, I actually end up getting this halfway house rated because, you know, it was, it was <laughs> I, you know, it was a kingpin at Prescott. I had a gram and a half of heroin yeah, on me. Balling. And, uh, yeah, so I get taken in and, uh, I don't know. I ended up doing 25, 30 days, something like that, something real light. And, uh, my PO comes and visits me and says, Hey, you're going back through Hillside. And I'm like, I just went through there four months ago. Right. But again, lack of resources and an individual seeing something in myself that, that I had never seen. Right. And wanting me to get sober. So, so that's the direction we went. Um, and, and I got out of jail and went right back into Hillside. And so when you go back into Hillside, this is the first time where you kind of buy into the program and 12 steps and you kind of get a sponsor and you kind of work some steps. And I was kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. Just not, a little bit. not all the way. Yeah. Um, but I, Wanted a taste of something different. I was really just sick of going to jail and all my stuff getting stolen out of the halfway house. Yeah, that's not fun. So, um, yeah, so I get a little taste of recovery in there. Um, I go back into um, the halfway house that I had gotten kicked out of. They, they took me back, um, and everything was amazing. Recovery started changing my life like it does in most people when you really buy in. Um, and I met I met a girl. Um, and a girl. You That's know. how all Haley's stories start. I met a guy, mm-hmm. and maybe one starts with a girl. I went to an all. Yeah. One, I went a couple to a, starts with a girl. I went yes. to an all male facility and yeah. met a guy. It was weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I meet a girl that's got uh, you know close to two and a half years sober, and uh, and she did what Haley did and thirteen stepped me. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah, she Dang. did. Yeah. First yeah. of all, my ex definitely thirteen stepped me. I'm just throwing that out there because okay. he had more. I'm sober than I did. Okay. So. Now everybody knows. Yeah. Thank you, Haley. Yep. I just had to throw that out yeah, there. Yeah, It's on you. the docket. Yeah, it's so, on the... <laughs> um, I always phrase it that the closer her and I got, the farther her and I got away from recovery, right? Mm. Um, which is strange because I would never let go of my program at this point in my life, right? And, uh, but we did. We, we started using each other as our recovery source and, uh, Moved in together and everything was going to be great. We were going to build this fabulous, abstinent life, right? There was no recovery. We were just dry at this point. And, uh, and she gets into a car accident, breaks her arm, and, and, and starts getting prescribed opiates. I think it was Vicodin or whatever it was back then. Um, whatever it was wasn't strong enough to her liking, but it was strong enough to reignite that itch that we all know. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and shortly thereafter, she started uh, partaking in heroin again. And I was not using it at the time, so her and I came up with a plan that we were going to get her down to Phoenix, um, get her into treatment, and keep the wheels on this thing. And uh, like any good drug addict, she had to get high one last time, like we all do, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she did a shot of heroin. We said goodnight, and I woke up the next morning, and she was dead next to me. Mm-hmm. 
And then that one, yeah, every time we say that one last time, that could right. be the one last time well, for a lot of things. Especially with fentanyl now. I right. That, that, fentanyl, that last time is it's your Russian last time. Roulette, right? it, it's not if anymore. It's, it's when. It's when, yeah. Exactly. You know? that, that fentanyl is killing everyone. Mm-hmm. It's extremely sad to see. And so now here we go. We got death. We got loss. We got everything you've been through growing up poor section A housing, not low self-esteem, low worth, the molestation that happened to you, death of your grandma, um, moving out to Tempe, in and out of incarcerations, in and out of jail, kicked out of halfway houses. And then you throw a you throw a, a death of a fiance in the mix. Mm-hmm. And now, just like we all do when right. we're experiencing extreme trauma, especially, you know, because the program tells us we can do anything, go anywhere when we're spiritually fit. We can mm-hmm. get through anything. And you're walking through something that we're going to talk about at the end because you're spiritually fit and you're able to do it and contribute and be there right. uh, sober. Um, but until then, we end up just doing what we knew. Problem, let's add to some problem. And so you go on a sick one. I walk right in the bathroom. Shoot the rest of the heroin that she just died off of. Um, make That's a f- so powerful right there. Yeah. Make a phone call to her mom. Her mom uh, tells me to F off and that she wishes it was me. Hangs up on me. I call the police and I uh, I immediately embark on um, a journey to kill myself in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going around taking fronts, getting as much heroin as I can compile and shooting as much heroin as I can trying to overdose. Um, unsuccessfully. Uh, I wake up in the hospital and, uh, and of course my probation officer is there and, oh. I, and I'm handcuffed. Is this the same one you've had this whole time? Mm-hmm. And is it uh, a guy or a girl? It, it's a girl and she's done with me. Like my mother is done with me. Mm-hmm. Um, actually I'll probably call her when we get out of here and tell her I'm doing good. Yeah. I did that at a year sober, <laughs> yeah, you know? Nice. And, uh, yeah. So I wake up and she's got a hospital table with, uh, all of my paraphernalia and, you know, um, point two of heroin or whatever I had left. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, the first words out of her mouth when I become conscience are, uh, Marcus, I'm charging you with all of this. And, uh, and that was perfectly fine with me because I didn't, I was mad that I had wake up, woken up. Number one, um, mad right. that somebody saved my life because the last thing I wanted to do was continue on living. Um, and I went to jail and again, I'm kicking in jail, right? Fresh off an overdose and a two and a half week run. And, um, waking up crying every morning and uh, trying to fight somebody so that I can create this physical release of my emotions um, that I come up with a plan that I'm going to kill myself as soon as I get out of there, no matter what happens. And, uh, and I go to court and uh, I, I expedite my sentencing and uh, you know, the judge goes through his, his, his whole spiel clears out the courtroom and, uh, and looks at me and says, Mr. Wisely, I'm sorry for what happened to you. Um, man, I've never met in my life. Um, but God has a very unique way of putting people to show compassion to me when I need it the most. Mm. And uh, like any good person that shows me compassion when I'm not ready to receive it, I tell him to F off. Mm-hmm. Um, Haley and, still does that. And then I start crying. I, I do struggle with that, yes. <laughs> you know? Um, start crying in the courtroom and... Uh, Again, he goes through his whole spiel about, you know, you're waving your right to trial and all. Cool. I don't care. Right. Get me somewhere so that I can kill myself. That's all I want to hear out of your mouth. Right. Um, didn't tell him that. Obviously, that's my plan and my plan only. Right. Um, and the judge tells me I'm going to give you four more months of county time and reinstate you on probation. I mean, the king of being reinstated. Yes. I mean, how many? Have you ever been You ever been uh, woke up in the hospital cuffed to a bed? No. Oh, good for you. It's pretty I'm, fun. I've never yeah. been to jail. I've been arrested once. 
Do they have jail in Wickenburg? They do. Oh, yeah, they just lock you in a horse stall? Well, I told you about that story where my, my dad had me arrested at 11 to, like, oh, yeah. you know, prove a point. So Sca- that was, like, the only. Street. Yeah. yeah, and it just gave me, it like, worked. street cred in Wickenburg. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, I got one arrested. Day, yeah, one day in jail. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was, like, my dad's best friend growing up. It gave you like a, the, a DOC well, number yeah. from Wickenburg. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was stupid. <laughs> but, yeah, that's the only time I've ever been arrested. And so God ends up having different plans for you, man. And, always you does. Know, always does. And, you know, now as we continue to talk about it, we see how he's been there in our lives. Right. And once we align our action with God, then we get experience just miracles and blessings and right. the promises in every area um, of our lives. And so ultimately, man, you get a four month, uh, you know, jail sentence. They reinstate you on probation. But the main stipulation is that is you go to treatment. Correct. And you go back to crossroads. No. So it was a, a treatment center of my choosing. Okay. Um, and, and it's again, right. It's God. It's the only thing I contributed to. Um, I go from being this sad, angry, hopeless individual um, that I wake up in jail one morning and I have made the most sure-handed decision I've ever made in my life. And it wasn't my decision. The thought was there right when I woke up. I'm going back down to Phoenix and I'm going through crossroads. Because the only time that I ever had a small taste of recovery that I was truly happy was there. So let's go back. And uh, again... I don't know if that was my fiance putting that in my head. I, right. I didn't know who it was. I just knew it was there and that I didn't come up Someone with it. Someone was praying for you. hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I called my mom again, right. Who's done with me and wants absolutely nothing. And I said, mom, I need one last favor from you. I need you to call, um, the director and see if he'll let me back in. Cause I didn't leave on good terms. No, I mean, not the right. best of terms, right. I'm stealing residents, yeah, medications. F- I'm getting high on there. I'm doing one-on-ones. Yeah. They frown upon that. You know what I mean? I'm out there talking recovery with guys with, with a head full of drugs. Right. Um, and like we do at Crossroads, he, uh, he welcomed me back with open arms. Mm. Mm. Shout out Joe Peterson. <clears throat> Absolutely. That, uh, that man has been there through the, the best he and worst parts the, yeah, of my recovery. He was there when I was there, um, back in like, I think it was 2013 when I went through there. And so you end up going back to Crossroads, you go to Crossroads East. This is in 2016, <clears throat> man. And this is where your journey just the evolution of the man you are today and everything you do for crossroads, it starts right then and right there. But the only reason why any of these things happen is because you go full throttle in your recovery. So what's full throttle in your recovery look like? So for somebody like me, I'm a, I'm a full blown extremist, right? It's either all or nothing. Right. And, uh, and I tell myself one last try, everything that I have is going into getting sober, right? This, the, the cliches they talk about. You got to give everything you, you got and, you know, put in as much effort as you did trying to get high, right? Like, I never paid attention to those. For me, it was, I'm going to put everything I have in it. And in the moment that I am as unhappy sober as I was getting loaded, I'm going to kill myself. I didn't tell anybody that. I didn't need to, right? That was this resolve that I had of this is what is pushing me through getting sober. Right. And, uh, and honestly, that's what powered me through for the first year. What's your favorite cliche, Haley? Give it. I don't know. I don't well, one day at a time. Keep one, coming back. Yeah, keep coming back. Uh, works when you work it. Make it. I literally hate being fake put it on the till spot. you make it. Yeah, fake it till you make it. Easy does it. I don't know. We're gonna have to work. You on know, that. I yeah. literally hate being. I hate being put on the spot. I have <laughs> it's no my. Idea. It's my favorite thing to do. I know. It's just my job, and this podcast with you is my just co-host is take just on me. yes, and just to put you on the spot as much as I possibly can. Um, so you end up, you know, I mean, you go full throttle, you do 90 and 90, you get a sponsor, you work the steps, you get, you know, do a four and a five, you get, 
you know, you end up, uh, you know, doing some trauma therapy and you meet this, this therapist and an amazing lady, an amazing lady and shout out to your therapist and, you know, and so how that all comes to play. If you want to just share briefly, cause I know that's a very important part of your story. I just want to hear briefly what that was about. Yeah. So, so I, I, I basically get forced into trauma therapy and by, by my boss and, uh, Long story less long, I end up meeting this lady, and I'm totally against therapy because of my experiences as a child, and she goes on to explain her journey to become a therapist, which included her husband being an alcoholic, relapsing after 18 years, going off the wagon, killing himself in a in a DUI. She becomes an alcoholic um, and, and makes a vow to herself and her husband when she's in the hospital a couple of years later um, that she's going to go back to school so that she can learn how to help people to help herself. And, uh, and she tells me this and, and I'm all in at that point because that's exactly what I just went through. Yeah. Right. And you know, she gained your trust pretty quickly. And so you're doing this three times a week, but not only are you going to see a therapist and working on your trauma, you're also working one hell of a program. You got service commitments, you know, meetings. I mean, you're going, you're helping any, sir. I mean, you name it, sponsees, home groups. I mean, you're doing all these things. I was riding the bus to go sponsor people. I, and I, I love, love that. yeah, that's and, the cause, best. Cause that's what I needed. Yeah. You get know? on the bus, man, and get there and, you know, just there really is no excuse. You just experience God right. when you work with somebody. Mm-hmm. And the more we can experience God on a day-to-day basis, the way that we understand it, and it keeps us spiritually intoxicated, like it talks about in the family afterward. So during this period of time now, the evolution with you at Crossroads is impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want you to rattle off all your positions of where you got today. I mean, because it's so powerful. And I know you're going to start this alumni group because they need to see people who come through the programs. The same thing with the Sanctuary Recovery Center is the right. alumni group that we're starting. They get to see that people recover here. We continue right. to go out, be productive members, work recovery, experience life. There's um, a life after. Yes. Right? And it's right. so important to see. But I want you to just to tell us the evolution of your job um, working at Crossroads. Um, so I went as a night manager, case manager, uh, running groups, uh, peer mentor, uh, admissions coordinator, uh, director of the utilization management department, director of admissions, and and to my current role that I'm doing now, business development manager. I mean, congratulations. Thank you. That that is from a guy who worked at Crossroads, who stole medication Mm -hmm. from the clients and then did one-on-ones with them, being kicked out, everything that you've been through. And then to, to come back, find recovery, humble your, that's a humbling feeling to come back. Whenever you know, everyone recovery talks, they gossip. You know anything about that? Recovery gossip? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been involved in that before. Yeah, you've been involved in that. I've been the topic of the recovery gossip a couple times. Yeah, you have. And so just to have this ability, man. And so ultimately when we really look at what this podcast today is just to share your message, share your story. But it's also, too, to talk about Crossroads, everything that you got going on there, the vision that you guys have. I heard you guys opened a detox. We did. We just opened a a 16-bed access and non-access funded. So anybody that doesn't have insurance, you don't have to go to a hospital anymore. You can come see us. I love that. Okay. So share a little bit about just the vision of for Crossroads right now, the vision for you, what you got on on the table, and and where they can find you at. Um. Vision for Crossroads is the same it's always been. We're going to continue to try and help people in the best way possible, whether that's with us or us getting you sent or referred to somewhere that you need to go that fits you better. Um, we have uh, we just opened the detox. It just opened on Tuesday. Uh, it's 16 beds. Um, 
and, and currently we're working on developing uh, our, our last project, I hope, for a little while, um, is a sober living, community living uh, in Scottsdale um, that will house about 65 males. Um, it's going to be a full incorporated outpatient program, um, but it'll be more of a sober living type environment. Um, for myself, I would really, you know, just like to continue to build the relationships with, with other recovery organizations and, and like-minded individuals that really only care about helping. Right. I, I, I don't care about my image. I don't care about what people think. None of that, right? Um, if I can go to sleep at night knowing that I helped one individual, my job's done, right? right. I don't need other people to post about it. I don't need any of that, right? I just need the one-on-one with that individual and getting them into a place that we can help save their life. And, it, you know, and so that's all to, we got to do it together. It's right. a team sport, man. And so it's altruistic, sincere desire to be helpful. Yes. And that's what the altruistic move. Did you know that? I, I did know that about. Okay. Altruism. All right. Yeah. There we go. And so when we find recovery and, you know, we you know, remove the obsession to want to change the way we feel and I don't want to take, I, I, you know, I know we want to keep this in some sort of time period here, but we got to give your wife a shout out real quick. Cause yeah. we can't not have you on the podcast and not give right. your wife a shout out. Ethan triple OG Ogden did that. We had a double back around on that. And it was, I mean, shame we, on me for we, not mentioning her. Earlier, well, I kind right? of pushed you through it a little bit, um, but just give a quick, just my wife quick. is not in recovery, right? Um, my wife is amazing through and through, head to toe, right? Mm. Best woman I've ever met. And uh, when we met, it took a lot of courage for me to say, okay, hey, we're going to, I'm going to tell you everything about me, right? Mm. And this woman goes, yeah, I know. And I said, what do you mean you know? She goes, well, I ran a background check on Oh, you. yeah, that's Dang. right. Yeah. Oh. I said, what? <laughs> what? She oh, goes, I, go- I have a child. It's not I just Googled about your me, ass. right? I had to make sure that you were okay to be around my kid. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it pissed me off. Right. But yeah. I was like, this is also the coolest thing that's ever happened yeah. to me. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and for some reason, right. I, maybe I manipulated her. I don't know. Um, yeah. that woman has stayed by my side through, through everything. And, uh, and allowed me to be a, a wonderful stepfather to her child and, and also give me a child of my own. So, mm. yeah, you got a seven and a half month old and an eight and a half year old and an eight and a half year old. I am surrounded by women. Yes. Yeah, so, so I have two daughters as well. So I get it. Mm-hmm. And my wife is not in recovery, you know, so I understand totally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God, it's just, well, you know, when we have this, it's having beautiful people in our lives to hold us accountable to, you know, have healthy relationships with and experience life together. You know, that is, the, you know, that's what life's really all about. Right. And so, you know, when we find recovery, we think that just everything is going to be good all the time. Right. And so I want you to share, you know, because it's not always that way. Life still happens. Right. And I know right now, currently at this moment, you're going through probably um, one of the most difficult things that anyone can go f- go through right now, and you're walking through it sober. You're walking through it being there, being supportive, being the shining light for your family, and doing all those things. So why don't you just share about that for a minute? Sure. Um, February, I found out that my father had stage four cancer. Um, it was not only in his lungs that it spread, quite a few major organs and he had about a seven inch two or seven something centimeter, whatever uh, tumor on, on his bottom two vertebrae. And uh, when they start using the terms comfort instead of prevention and curing, mm-hmm. um, I'm able to read through the lines. Right. And um, it's my dad, right. Smartest, toughest, strongest, most caring man I've ever met in my entire life. And, uh, 
my wife and I decided to take a vacation over the weekend to uh, to San Francisco to celebrate our anniversary of two years. And uh, Saturday night, I get a call from from my family that uh, that my father had 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 gone to sleep and uh, was unable to be woken, um, still breathing, but that uh, that this was going to be the end. This is his transition, and uh, my father would have told me, "Don't be an idiot." have fun on your vacation. And I know that for a fact, but that does not change the amount of guilt that I have for not getting on a plane and coming home immediately. Um, so instead what I did is put my AirPods in and went and sat outside and, uh, and FaceTime my father, um, and, and just talked to him because I was told by his nurse that the last thing that goes through an individual before they pass is their hearing. And, uh, and I spoke with my father at, at great lengths about, the regrets that I had and, and the appreciation that he never left my side. And, uh, and the man that I am today is because of who he showed me to be. And, uh, the next phone call I got was from my sister to tell me that he had passed. Um, that was on my anniversary on the 29th on Sunday. And, uh, and my sister said, Marcus, the last song that we played for him was the song that him and I did our first dance to. And tears were coming out of his eyes right before he took his last breath. And, uh, it's weird being on vacation and, uh, being in random places and you just start crying, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we were on the trolley and I'm bawling <laughs> my eyes out. Right. And like, we're at a restaurant having seafood because my father loves seafood and, and I'm crying. Right? right. Um, but again, right. I get to be here and I get to be sober and I get to hold my wife's hands and my child's hands and my family's hands and walk through that and, and show up and, and be, be present for him and, and for my family. And that's all due to God and recovery. And it is. And so when we're able to do those things, I mean, that's just what, uh, just a testament to the type of man you are today, the program you work and how God works in your life. So I want to thank you for being on the show, sharing everything with us, you know, seek out crossroads, look Marcus up, you know, find him, like all of his stuff, get in touch, anything you need, get at him. And where can they find us, Haley? It's, um, we're on YouTube. Instagram, Facebook, and it's all at Sanctuary Recovery Centers. Do you want to plug a phone number real quick? Yeah, 602-263-5242. That's our main line at Crossroads. Just ask for me and, and you'll get over there. Anything Perfect. you need, man, reach out to us. It's a team sport. So thank you for being on the thank show. Thank you today. guys for having me. Thank you. See you next time.